You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Tuesday, December 7th, Just Baseball Show, Jack McMullen, Peter Apple, two of the worst football pickers ever. We've ever just awful. Well, I was 0-5 before this Sunday. Thankfully, I had a winning week, but oh my God, just couldn't hit the barred side of a barn or wherever that, what is that? The br- Broadside? Is it bright side of a barn? Broad side of a barn. Broad side, because bright didn't. I combined bright and broad into broad yeah. side of a barn. All good. But I can't even get the sign or the. I can't even get what I'm talking right because I couldn't get an NFL pick right. But we finally had a good Sunday, and now we have Bills versus Patriots, and I don't know what to bet right now. Of course, it's not gambling advice, and I'm also wearing my not gambling advice tee for yeah. any of those on YouTube. But I went with the under. And this is one of the hardest games to bet on in the history of the NFL. And I can tell you why. Do you want to know why? Sure. As I set my iced coffee? Let's hear it. And I like it also how we're doing this while we're about to interview Jeff Duncan, the lieutenant governor of Georgia. We're going to talk quickly about betting on football, and then we're going to break into an amazing interview with the lieutenant governor that is much more proper and put together. But for right now, I'm going to rant about this. So on one side, you got the Buffalo Bills, right? They have done this weird thing where they can't beat anybody good, but they trounce bad teams. And they also have this weird, they lose, they win, they lose, they win. If you look at their schedule, there's a 31-6 to win over the Saints, then a 45-14 to loss. They're very inconsistent. And on the Patriots side, you have the hottest team in the NFL, one of the best defenses in the NFL, but you also have a rookie quarterback who's going to play in 25-mile-an-hour wins. And also, what do the Patriots like to do? They like to run the ball. The Bills have the best run defense in the NFL. Okay? But the Bills, they don't have their best cornerback, Trey White. So you might think, well, can Mac Jones throw a little bit? But there's 25-mile-an-hour wins. His ball in itself is not very firm. Could it get affected by the wins? Josh Allen, what does he like to do? He likes to throw to Stephon Diggs, but they don't have that great of a run game. We know that the Patriots are going to lock up the number one wide receiver in Stephon Diggs. Okay. So, and now the total over under has gone down from 44 and a half or 45 and a half down to 41 due to the weather situation that we're dealing with. 
there are so many conflicting factors. Oh, also, I haven't even given you the line. Patriots plus three. Bills minus three. You going to go against Belichick? No. But the Bills are at home. Ugh! And the Bills had more time to prepare, Jack. They had more time to prepare. Remember, they played on Thanksgiving. You got a rookie quarterback going in the snow and the sleet and the wind where his game doesn't translate that well. I'm going with the under. I'm just going to go to bed and shut the hell up about it. Yeah, well, I love that you just dove into that for several minutes knowing that it's all kind of a moot point because this episode comes out after the game. I want people to hear my thought process on it and wh- how why that if it hits or it doesn't hit, I frankly had no idea. I had yeah, no idea. I That's why I'm going you. with the under and shutting the hell up about it. We got a divisional game where unders have been hitting at an incredible rate, close to 70%. So naturally, um, when I preview all these college conference championship games this past weekend, we did get to talk to Jeff Duncan, the lieutenant governor of Georgia, about the SEC title game last week. He said he was excited to go to Atlanta and watch Georgia take on Alabama. Of course, we know Alabama looked like the best team in America because they were firing on all cylinders and Georgia didn't necessarily look strong. And some of those offensive concerns were certainly um, exposed in that game. But, you know, I I picked, let's see, I I like doing the previews. I don't necessarily like giving out, you know, gambling lines. But I picked a winner at the end of five conference preview videos. I went 0-5. Here's what I take solace in. (laughs) Kirk Herbstreet, I think, went one and seven. It was a mess of a weekend in college football. He so here's got the thing. Michigan. I, I did get Michigan. He did get Michigan. I got Michigan, too. Um, listen, I like to think I know a lot about college football. Also, shout out Ball State football and the Camellia Bowl on Christmas Day against Georgia State in Montgomery, Alabama. The Camellia Bowl, I think it's Tax Act that's the presenting sponsor there. Uh, but... I I like to think I know a lot about college football. I know nothing about the NFL. So when your bet doesn't hit, and mine, which is just Bill's money line, because I think that the Bills are going to be better in the snow, hits, I'm going to say I told you so, and that proves that anybody can do this. I like, I mean, most likely Patriots will win and it will go over, considering our luck. Right. I just, it's such a tough game to look at. From all different angles. And with your... With you, it was really impressive what you did. Yeah. It was impressive. Because you took a lot of favorites to win. And they all lost outright. Not just didn't cover the spread. They're losing outright. So you could say, Jack, you don't know anything. Or... Was that one of the more impressive feats of the college football season? I I think it's pretty impressive. Um, If you say, Jack, you don't know anything, I think you also have to look at Kirk Herbstreet and say, Herbie, you know nothing about this sport that you are more in touch with than anybody else on planet Earth. This is why we love sports. Because the smartest... I I dove into it for hours this morning, and I could just be so far off. Kirk Herbstreet, you know this is his job. He does this every single second. He He reads the college football handbook inside and out. But yet, this is why we love it, because it's unpredictable. You can't write it. It's You can't script it. And that's why, first of all, I'll never pay for picks. Like, I'm not yeah. paying anyone to give me picks, because you don't know more than me, and none of us really know. We can give you our best effort. And I always like to say, more often than not, I will win. Do I go on cold streaks? Absolutely. But I'm going to give you my best shot. But still, I don't even know. Nobody knows, and that's why we love it. 
That's why we love it. Uh, now to something entirely different. Let's talk to Jeff Duncan, who, you know, baseball's in a lockout right now. So naturally, that's the great time to, to bring on a politician who had a minor league career. We had no idea where this conversation was going to go. It went somewhere great, and we're really excited to play this thing for you. We welcome on Jeff Duncan, current lieutenant governor of Georgia and a pretty fantastic baseball player. So, Jeff, you played college ball at Georgia Tech, were drafted by the Marlins back in 1996, and had a pretty successful half decade in the minor leagues. So I have to start. When did the idea of politics jump into your head after reaching AAA? So interesting. I'll start with the first part. Uh, A fantastic baseball career, 69th round draft pick. They don't even have 69 rounds anymore. And I barely made every minor league team I ever played on. But thank you so much making it sound like I, I saw your ERA. You were in the twos in some seasons. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I was a double A wonder, man. I, I figured it out. Um, yeah, politics, you know, not one day in my life in the minor leagues that I ever think about being in politics. It just never crossed my mind. Um, and it really, what, what kind of drew me in was, uh, you know, baseball was over, got married, uh, had kids, started a business. I really just started paying attention to a lot of the issues that were out there. And fortunately for me, I was lucky. One of those guys had great coaches along the way, but they were more than coaches. They were leaders. And I just gravitated towards good leaders. It just made sense. Right. And I think we all have that, that gravitational pull, whether it's in the business world or the sports world of good leaders. And I just felt like there was a vacuum of leadership inside of politics. That was really why I threw my name in the hat to start with 10 years ago. That makes a ton of sense to me. And don't downplay your professional baseball career because you know what? You say you barely made these teams. All you have to say is you were on these teams. You were a triple That's all you got to say. Player. <laughs> well, uh, and one of y'all, I was looking at some, some of the bios stuff. One of y'all do play-by-play or call the games in Fort Wayne. Yep. That's my man over here. Were you a tin cap at any point? I was a Kane County Cougar. Yeah. Uh, and we played the Fort Wayne Wizards. So they must yep. have upgraded names and stadiums and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I, I have a million miles of bus bus travel in the Midwest League. Man, how about that? Yeah, now uh, now High A Central, they've got a bunch of boring names now. Yeah. But yeah the, the Kane County Cougars, unfortunately, Indie Ball now, but they were uh, they were great. I saw that. It was, you know, we used to say as jokingly uh, at Kane County Cougars games that in between innings, we played baseball there uh, <laughs> because it was all about the fan experience. Like every night there was some famous, you know, Gosh, the dog, uh, Marvin Noodleman. I don't know even if he's still oh, a yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, Myron Noodleman. The crowd. Man, Myron Noodleman, that's a good throwback. Hey, let's get a glimpse into your baseball background. You know, we know you played at Tech. We know you were a successful minor leaguer. When did you first fall in love with baseball? Or what was your first major baseball memory? Yeah, so for me, we lived in seven states growing up. So every two years, we kind of did the shuffle thing and moved around. And I realized early on in life that if, if I was the best baseball player or I was a quarterback, too, in the football team. But if I was the best athlete when I showed up at a school, I'd automatically have friends. And so I just really worked hard to kind of be the best of the best. And it really was a great pathway. I get back to Georgia my senior in high school. Uh, so we literally did a lap around the country. We got here my senior year in high school, met my wife first day. And the whole baseball thing started to become a reality, right? I realized I could throw harder than everybody else. I was probably upper 80s, low 90s kind of guy. And more and more scouts started showing up, and it just made sense to go off to college. And uh, fortunately for me, in our backyard was Georgia Tech, number one team in the country at the time. Nomar Garcia-Para was my shortstop. Loaded. Jason Veritek was my catcher. Jay Payton, which sleepy here, was probably the best player on the team that year, sandwiched first-round pick by the Mets. Um, huh. 
So we had a great team. Inner squads were the most brutal uh, experience of your life if you were a pitcher. You got to go up against good. Nomar and Jason Baratek. Yeah, it was impossible, right? I mean, you'd yeah. be a nervous wreck all day in class knowing that you were going to face these guys. And the way we did it was we had teams of five, offensive teams made out of five, and they all – Danny Hall put all those guys on the same team. It was like murderer's row. I needed an L screen to throw – you know, to throw inner squads just to, you know, save myself. That sounds about right. I had no idea that you were a quarterback. So quarterback, I understand you went to Georgia Tech, but you also say that you love these these leaders, right? And you've been impacted by leaders. I do want to ask you a college football question now that just popped into my mind. I mean, the job that Kirby Smart's doing at Georgia, can you appreciate it as the lieutenant governor of Georgia, or are you just really mad at him as a Tech alum? So Tech alum for sure, but my oldest son goes to school at the University of Georgia, Okay. Uh, so we're bipartisan in the house. Uh, <laughs> and what a great, what a great season, man. I'm telling you what, we're actually going to the SEC championship game on Saturday. Our family is what an incredible team and season they're putting on. And Kirby's done a great job of leading that team through some, some tough games. They'll definitely have a tough game with Alabama, but proud of them any, any which way Tech's had a tough season. Uh, we're kind of in a rebuilding stage now and not certain how that all comes together, but uh, I know we've got a lot of good fans and, and, and good folks supporting them. So. So you saw some studs at Georgia Tech in your inner squad games, Nomar, Veritek. Who's the best player you came across throughout your minor league career? Uh, so I tell this, this great story in the book. I say it's a great story because it was a sh- it was shaping one. I, I, I got John Olerud to pop up on a 3-2 changeup in spring training. Uh, I literally came in my first big league spring training game. I walked. I gave up a hit the first guy, I hit the second guy, and I walked the third guy. Bases loaded, no outs. It's just like 1999 when John Olerud was like the man. And I get him 3-2 and Jorge Fabregas comes out to the mound and he's like, look, can you throw a 3-2 changeup? And I'm like, yeah, why? It's like my third best pitch. He's like, because if you throw him the other two, he's going he's gonna to take your head off. And I threw him a 3-2 changeup and he literally missed it by a millimeter, pops it up the shortstop. Next guy, ground ball, double play, out of the inning. My, my kind of claim to fame in high school baseball was I got to sit on the bench and watch Jack Flaherty, so not nearly as cool as you. But just staying on the minor league conversation, some awesome news came out of the minor leagues a week or so ago stating that MLB teams are finally required to provide housing for all of their minor league players. I'm really curious to hear about the living conditions in the late 90s. Yeah, I mean, it was so wild. Thinking back, I mean, I, I think my first paycheck, and I'm old, but I'm not that old. I'm 46, and I played until I was in the late 20s. So 1996, I was in Utica, New York. My first paycheck was $750 a month. Uh, I signed for 1000 bucks, and my first paycheck was 750 bucks a month before taxes, and we lived at, I think it was the, the Utica College dorms, and they did an auto payroll deduction. So you literally would finish the month like you get your paycheck and I don't know, it was like 150 bucks to live, a, to, to, to live a month on. Um, I don't think, and even in, even at my highest peak moment, cause I never went through minor league free agency or anything like that. I went on the 40 man. I think at the most I made 2,500 bucks a month in triple a, maybe that, I think that sounds about right. Married, you know, wanted to have kids. And it was difficult, man. It was, nobody really understands. You know, I used to go to the mall in Portland, Maine, which by the way, was one of the best minor league teams to play on the Portland sea dogs. They gave us opportunities to sign up in the locker room to go sign autographs at the mall. And you'd get like a hundred bucks of store credit or something. And I would do it every time, I, every chance I had. Of course. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, but I was I, married. Like I needed to have, you know, go, go out to dinner money. And how crucial do you think it is to take care of these minor leaguers? I mean, it seems like such an obvious question, but we just haven't seen anything major done until now. Yeah. 
you know, it's, it's one of those things, everybody there is so happy to be there and, you know, so excited to have an opportunity to play in the big leagues. And, you know, you're literally one phone call away. Once you get the double A, you know, I mean, you're literally one phone, phone call away from being a millionaire. And so you're just willing to do, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure other industries are like that actors, you know, artists, things of that nature. You just know you're so, you just need that, that one break. And, but along the way, I mean, gosh, the living conditions were tough. I was grateful. The Marlins took great care of us. You know, they always were, you know, nobody seemed to, to go without, you know, t- players would come together, big leaguers would come down on rehab and help out. So we all, it's just a banded together family, but it's tough. And, certainly gets in the way of maybe sometimes making good decisions, maybe sometimes gets in the way of how long your career can stay alive because maybe you have, you know, a wife and kids back home. Uh, I'm gl- glad to see some traction to, to kind of creating a stable environment. Yeah. I just, like, yeah, I just feel like if you take care of your minor leaguers, it's just going to help your major league team. I mean, get these kids fed, get the housing, get them some sleep, and then yeah, they'll I mean, be better and baseball and there's, players. There's such a disparity um, because – you know, you got your first and second rounders that come in. And these are most of these guys are great guys, right? I mean, I was like, like I said, I was a 69th round draft pick. I was the most ultra critical guy by the time I got, you know, four or five years, six years in the minor, six seasons in the minor leagues. I was really salty. So like, I see this first rounder. I, I'll never forget. Um, Josh Beckett came in as a first rounder. And I'm like, oh, this guy, I think he got like $7 million. I'm like, oh, who, who is 18 years old worth $7 million? And I remember I walked down to the minor league bullpens and I watched his first bullpen and I'm thinking to myself, that guy was probably worth more than that. <laughs> like, it was unbelievable, right? But there's such a disparity, right? You got a guy coming in the, the clubhouse in a Ferrari, and you got a guy coming in. You know, you got LeVon Hernandez driving Ferraris to games, and you've got guys literally down to 12 cents, and they're eating peanut butter sandwiches out of the locker room. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. And unfortunately, it's still common. You know, you, you drop that number that you got in Utica – that's a number that has gotten somewhat better, but not too much better. So that's, you know, that's something that minor league baseball has to deal with. But getting to the major league swing, you're the lieutenant governor of the state of the 2021 World Series champs. How did you see the state of Georgia get behind the Braves on this crazy run that we as baseball fans could not see coming from a million miles away? Yeah, um, such an interesting journey. So the Braves have just embedded into Atlanta, into Georgia. I mean, we just have seen it. I, I was a part, I was at the 95 game. Uh, I was, I think, a sophomore in college at Georgia Tech. So my wife and I went to that game when they won in game six. Uh, and it's just such a, not a love-hate relationship, but it's just, you know, we wanted to see them win the World Series so, so many years. To watch that team to come together, to watch them kind of step over the hole and just not take the bait on the All-Star game, just to just kind of plow ahead and win. It really comes back to just chemistry, chemistry just wins championships in baseball. I think it's more so than any other sport, right? Like I think, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit biased, but I think you can point to like better athletes on a team in the NBA, right? Better shooters and tall, you know, taller centers or whatever. Football seems to be bigger, stronger, faster. Baseball just always seems to come down to a majority of the time. Like that, that clubhouse just had good chemistry. You know, the front office made the right moves at the right exact moments. They didn't go get the flashiest guys. They got the folks that needed to fit especially when it's, you know, you guys didn't see it coming, especially when you lose, you know, Ozuna, you know, Acuna and others in, in the, you know, in the rotation, it was certainly, it was magical. I mean, Jeff, at one point, I think we did our recap of the brave season and right before the trade deadline, they had a 0.3% chance of winning the world series. So you're telling me there's a chance. 
there is a chance. And they got Jock Peterson, then Duvall, then Solaire, and it just started to roll. It was going through the timeline, it was one of the most amazing flights to a championship that I've seen in my 23 years. Yeah, the ago. front office, absolutely. I sent a couple of guys on the, on the, in the front office that I know well, sent them notes like, you know, if, if they could give the front office the MVP trophy like they should Seriously. have, right? It was unbelievable to watch. And their ability to – and I think, you know, there's this huge gravitational pull towards analytics. I'm one of those that think that analytics are a resource to help, you know, talent decisions and, and really understanding how you – how you better evaluate talent. I don't think it's actually the final decision-making, but I'm old school and who knows that, you know, maybe that's a future career for me. But uh, I think the Braves front office did such a good job of recognizing what, what holes they had to fill and filling them. And all those names that you put out there, not only put statistical influence into those games, but they also were willing to come into the clubhouse and the dugout and on the field and make everybody better, right? Nobody was there as an individual. Everyone was there as like, this is really, winning is fun. And baseball, too, is such a grind, right? It's not like you play a game and get a week off. It's not like you play a game, wait two days, and then go play the next game. It's just day after day after day after day. And that helps you when the mojo is going well and everybody feels the winning and the encouragement and you enjoy coming to the clubhouse. But it works against you when you're losing or there's sourness, you know, or there's this individualism playing out. You just don't want to go to work every day. Man, I love the take on analytics. I know, Peter, you love do, it. too. I do. Well, because I think I just – I love hearing every different opinion about it because you can use them as a source and they're helpful, but they're not the end all be all. And you have to look at the entire picture. The eye test still matters. Yeah. Analytics may not favor strikeouts, but strikeouts still matter. And it's a, it's a downgrade to momentum as you were talking about um, with the Braves belief in themselves. And I just feel like a strikeout dampens that in the dugout and the Braves were a team that didn't strike out that much to me you know, analytics is like the game of blackjack, right? If you're playing blackjack, analytics tell you what to do and how to do it. You almost become a robot at the table if you just play the system. Absolutely. Right. And of course, if you, if you drift and you have personalities in that, you make decisions based on, you know, how much you got left and whatever else. But baseball is, is decisions around humans. Humans are not perfect and the system doesn't, doesn't work like that. So you still, to me, the analytics, ultimately we're going to get to a point in baseball where the analytics feed the best decision makers. Right. A guy like a John Sherholtz, looking back, old school Braves, you know, and others are going to use they were using analytics, but just didn't refer to it with the fancy name. They were looking at, at all that, but still coming to a gut, a gut decision on do we trade this guy? Do we pay this guy more? Do we re-sign a Freddie Freeman? You know, do we go out and, you know, do, do we rehab this guy to bring him back next year? It's it's still got to come down to gut decisions. More on Freddie a little bit later on in the conversation here. Okay. Uh, we want to get to the lockout conversation in a moment, but Atlanta, before this run in the postseason, made headlines earlier in the year, unfortunately, because of the 2021 All-Star Game. It was moved from Truist Park to Coors Field in Denver. We both really loved your statement on the matter. I'm going to read it right now. Quote, as a baseball fan and Georgian, I'm extremely disappointed in Major League Baseball's decision to relocate the 2021 All-Star Game. I disagree with their decision to move the game to another city, and I'm convinced that not all the facts have been considered in making this decision. That said, I respect the will of the owners, players, and commissioner's office. The fallout from the post-election misinformation campaign led by former President Donald Trump continues to manifest itself and divide our nation. And now misinformation surrounding Georgia's new election reform has furthered that divide, even reaching Major League Baseball. You know, with that move from Truist Park to Coors Field, what were some of those pertinent after effects of Georgia, of Atlanta, that maybe the baseball community didn't really see right away? 
Yeah, I talk a lot about this in, in the book that I just wrote uh, because it was an important, I was sitting in this chair when I wrote that statement, right? It's, it's, it feels like yesterday. I was genuinely just disappointed as a baseball fan when I, when I wrote that, right? It wasn't any sort of, you know, grandiose political statement, but I hated to see the game that I love be politicized, right? And that's so much of what's going on. Like everything seems to be politicized. COVID, I mean, we're in a pandemic for goodness sake and we're, we're, we're politicizing everybody's decisions instead of just focusing in on just that decisions. I went so far as to, I don't, I don't think I put this much detail in the book, but I went so far as to connect with a good friend. The Masters was in town, was in, in Augusta. I went with a good friend, rode down to Augusta National, met with a couple of the owners that were down there, tried to network to the commissioner. I actually networked to the commissioner on the ride home and tried to, just in my personal way, outside of the governor, everybody else, as a baseball fan, convince him to give us another look to keep the All-Star game here. And he was, it was a great, engaging conversation one that I felt like he genuinely took my data points and considered them and put them back in front of some of the ownership group out there. Ultimately, we, we did not get the game back. I hated it that it was politicized. And the fallout was, once again, it just made us even further apart, not only as Democrats and Republicans, but just as Americans and baseball fans, it just pitted us in that game. And I was proud to see the, the, the World Series come back through here. And the overall reaction was, you know what, let's let, let's let baseball be baseball. Yeah, And I can also imagine... Rob Manford probably got a lot harsher of calls from other people than you might have, because also you have the understanding of how baseball works. Can you speak to that? Or do you know what Rob Manfred was kind of feeling like in that moment when you spoke to him? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not, I don't want to give him a hall pass for taking the game out of Atlanta. Right. I, I think it was a bad decision. And ultimately, but as I said in the statement, it was, it was the ownership group that he helps to represent along with other folks in the players union and others that ultimately came to that decision. It just, it was painful to watch how it got there. But at the end of the day, you had a former president and a sitting president making political statements about that were partial, that were 50%, they were half-truths, right? I mean, you had Joe Biden and Donald Trump basically half-truthing their way using the, the, the all-star game as a pawn for their political positions. And that's just the wrong place. And we shouldn't let that happen in sports. We should, you know, because look, it's coming to another city near you. If we do this again, some other state's going to have a political position that good, you know, good, bad, or indifferent happens in their legislature, and the game gets pulled from them for something that's that you know could potentially be a half truth. I just look, we're we're better than this, and we should. I feel like we learned, although not a lot of folks talked about the learning lesson from the time the All Star Game was pulled to the time the World Series got here. But I think we all had had a common understanding that we learned leave politics out of baseball, football, basketball, everything else. Yeah. We're with that. We like that. We, yeah. <laughs> we, that, we, we tried to stick to the game. Much more yeah. fun. And at the end of the day, that's the mature decision to have yeah. uh, just because it's just, you know, and even in the business world, right. I mean, we're, we're sitting here trying to point fingers at certain businesses who take certain positions that either align or don't align. Look, they're a private business or a publicly traded business. Let their customers, you know, hold them accountable. Their employees hold them accountable. But at the end of the day, we're just trying to represent people, you know, in, in political positions, move on. I think that's more than fair. And talking about people using those specific positions, the pandemic shortened the 2020 season from 162 to 60 games, which brought that owner-player conflict to seemingly new heights. I mean, revenues shrank from $3.66 billion in 2020, and owners claimed to have lost, claimed to have lost $3.1 billion due to the shortened season. No fans in the stadium kind of eliminated those revenues associated with tickets, parking, concessions. Therefore, owners preferred shortening the schedule to keep their payroll and other costs as low as possible, leading to those prorated salaries. 
And the reason I mentioned that is we just saw a tweet from Bob Nightingale this morning saying that the meeting that just happened earlier today on November 30th between the owners and the MLBA only lasted 30 minutes. And you've been in some very important rooms making very important decisions. Is this much tougher to come to a deal than maybe Jack and I might think? Or do you kind of just think everyone's dragging their feet? Well, look, it's complex, and, and not, I don't want to under underplay the complexities of it. It, it is truly 4D chess, I'm sure. But, look, it's no different than the guy who owns a restaurant right now that's trying to figure out how to hire enough people to come in, how to pay them enough, how to deal with increased inflationary costs and their inputs. I mean, every time I hear you explain or I hear the story explained about how tough the Major League Baseball season was in 2020 – well, that, that story times a million. Every business went through those difficult, you know, where owners of businesses, players or employees, whatever their story was, is a difficult time for all of us. And it continues to, to wreak havoc in our economies, in our communities. Uh, and so I just I hope that at the end of the day, uh, baseball is a bright light for so many. Right. It gives you a reason to come home after a hard day of work, turn on the TV. I certainly do it. I get beat up in the media all day long. Former presidents are calling me names. People are tweeting about me. But when I come home and at 7.05 and the first pitch is there. I got a, a tub of ice cream and, and or a hamburger or something, and I'm watching the game with my kids. What kind of ice cream? Uh, I'm across the board. I like chocolate chip, man. Chocolate cookie chip. Cream. That's a good one. I'm a cookie dough guy, but. Um, I'll, I'll go there if I have to. I just think at the end of the day, there's an added, added level of responsibility amongst players and owners to, to, to continue to be the heartbeat of America. If we want to be the game that we are, we want to continue to, to earn the legacy that's been created for us with the game of baseball – we got to sometimes rise above it. I get it. It's complicated. I don't want to act like players and, and owners get in the room and just kumbaya and everybody agrees how to split up their millions. At the end of the day, they're splitting up millions. They're not splitting up dollars. Yeah. And uh, I think uh, hopefully cooler minds prevail and we get the, the, the greatest game in the world back on, uh, you know, tap for, for spring training. Because look, I was, I, I remember what the, the strike looked like in 95. Yeah. Yeah. A quick, quick little story about that was uh, we at Georgia, Georgia and Georgia Tech rotate years playing the first kickoff game in spring training against the Braves. Yeah. And it was our year, and I was the starting pitcher that year. And I'll never forget reading the newspaper that morning, all of the, uh, the, the starters. I never heard of these guys, right? They're all like 1986 first-round draft picks. And I remember my dad telling me, he's like, you don't know who these guys are, but they're all washed up. Just throw the first pitch right down the middle. Just get ahead and count. I don't know who the guy was. I think he was a first-round pick of the uh, Pirates in the 80s. First pitch, I lay it right down the middle, like 88, 89, just took something off of it, and he hits a ball off the top inch of the center field wall. And I'm thinking, dad's never been so wrong in his life. Next pitch, a guy hits a one-hopper seed. I, like, look like a hockey goalie. I I glove it, staring back, get the out. Next guy hits a seed somewhere. Inning over, I've never given up three harder hit balls in my life. There's no way that might have been Barry Bonds and possibly. It was not Barry Bonds. (laughs) No, because he was on strike. Yes. Oh, yeah. Good point. Hey, I – we love asking this question to, you know, whoever joins the podcast and, you know, we've, we've gone over it in depth here, but speaking of Barry Bonds, uh, hall of fame ballot, Bonds, Clemens final year on the ballot. If I handed you a ballot and it counted, are you checking off Bonds and Clemens? I'm not. I actually talk about the steroid steroid issue in the book and I don't necessarily blame a lot of the guys. I mean, there was a lot of rampant steroid usage in the late nineties when I was playing. Yeah. Right. And these were good people. Right? I don't want to demean them or, or you, know, you know, make them out to be evil. These were folks trying to put food on the table, literally pay for their house, you know, stuff. It, it was a very uncomfortable time. Uh, but, you know, look, 
uh, at the end of the day, those guys were, 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 were using steroids in a time where they were already feeding their family. They're already putting away money. They'll never spend again. And they were just trying to put numbers on the board and it was difficult. And uh, certainly they cost people that none of us have ever heard of careers in the big leagues because yeah. of the things that, that they did and, and, and the unfair practices that they used. Do you have, have any idea to the percentage of players that you knew were on performance enhancing drugs at that time? I, I don't know. I'd hate to even guess, uh, you know, there were loopholes, right? That that yeah. was that, that was the deal. There was loopholes. You hit the forty man roster, and and you didn't have to get drug tested, right? And so you know, you had guys in the minor leagues in Double A AA and Triple A that were on forty man rosters, whether it was our team or other teams, and and there was loopholes, uh, and that was unfortunate. But you know, look, uh, these were like I said, great guys. I totally get it. Uh, why some of them did. My wife and I chose not to do it. I mean, it certainly would have. I spent, I literally spent parts of two seasons in AAA. I was one, one pitch away. I had decent numbers until I, you know, everything kind of fell apart with my shoulder, but I certainly would have thrown harder. Uh, I certainly would have, you know, maybe lasted longer in an inning uh, at peak velocities. I certainly would have had a higher spin rate to use a modern day term. Absolutely. Um, but I, I didn't, I chose not to. And you know, at the end of the day, you know, I'm a faith driven guy. It almost, if I would have spent one day in the big leagues, it would have changed the trajectory of my life. Right. I've yeah. never, I had to be real with myself. I was never, I was a quadruple A player, right. I, I was good enough to be in triple A. I probably wasn't good enough to spend a career in the big leagues and get lots of outs and make millions of dollars. So I was always going to bounce. If I would have went to the big leagues for even one day or one week, I would have hung around the hoop forever. You know, I probably would have been in the front office or I probably would have been working the waiver wire somewhere yep. or, you know, coaching a team somewhere as a pitching coach. Instead I came out, got into business and element politics. Yeah. Hey, you know, we've talked about the steroids here. We've talked about performance enhancing drugs. Um, MLB with the sticky stuff cracked down this year. This has been something that's been around forever. And as a pro pitcher, as a college pitcher, you know, I mean, even us in high school, like, you know, we did the thing where you would put pine tar on the bottom of the hat and grab it. I was it always trying to stuff. cheat. <laughs> I mean, has every pitcher you have ever encountered ever using something at the pro level? So one, it was so goofy to watch them get like strip searched on the foul, on the foul line after the every Take off their pants. Your kids, like, what's going on here, Dad? You know, just just completely disorienting. Uh, yeah, sir. I mean, guys used to put stuff in their hair on the end of the string of your, of your glove, right? You know, you put a little pine tar on it. Here was my problem. I'll be perfectly honest. I tried all of that a million times when I was playing catch. I could never control the ball. Like I never cheated in the game. That's something that nobody talks about. Like sometimes <laughs> like, it's hard. <laughs> I literally couldn't hit the broadside of a barn if I put something on my finger. Like it was everything I had to just control the ball, throwing strikes with nothing on my fingers. Um, and so, yeah, certainly guys loaded it up every which way. But it sounds like this spider attack was like hybrid cheating, right? Like it was like, you know, like magic pixie dust. Yeah. Apparently it's what, it's what construction uh, workers will use yeah. to like grip heavy and weird to handle objects. Like when you're moving a couch. Or like bodybuilders holding that, the right? big bowls or something. I couldn't imagine like being set and trying to figure out like, where's this ball coming off my finger at? And what if I get caught or, you know, just me. I'm also curious, just switching back slightly to the lockout situation. How similar do you think the lockout is to what you experience every now and again in the political arena? Because I know on a national scale, at least we see DC go into these lockout type breaks every so often. So it, it's, it's, absolutely a, a mirror image of it and here's what we know right so most boardrooms figure this out uh quicker than maybe sports do and politics do because boardrooms are so concerned about shareholders and, and all of that stuff we know that the answer is somewhere in the middle 
right? Yeah. It's going to be either 5% on one side or 5% on the other side. But the final solution here is going to end up being in the middle. So instead of like beating your chest and pontificating and trying to gain, you know, all this moral clout, you just lay out your cards on the table and say, okay, what can you, what can you do without? Well, uh, these five things here we, we can negotiate on. Th these are my two absolutes, right? Go ahead and get there now to make things simpler, but, you know, maybe, maybe that's not as fun for some folks. But, for, but truly, that, that is, that's exactly what happens in politics every minute of every day. It's like you go to the media, you go to Twitter, you, you, you double down, triple down on your position. But the reality is you're eventually going to walk into that committee room with somebody that's on the other side of the issue with you, and you're going to negotiate out something that's less than, than, than pure on either side. And I guess for the lack of a better question, do you think we're going to be okay? Baseball? Do you think they're going to make it through? I just, God, this is just seems like it's over and over and over again. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, at the end of the day, this is the greatest game in the world, right? right. I mean, it just gives America so much hope. It gets us through. I mean, who knows what's going on with this next variant that's out there. I hope it isn't something that we can't manage through with the normal kind of processes and procedures that it feels like we've gravitated towards across the country. That's good to hear. Uh, but look, a reality check has got to be in place of, you know what, this, this gives a lot of people hope and entertainment and fun. We're playing, you know, like everyone used to say, you know, look, you're only making, you know, a little bit of money. And you know, my buddies that, that ended up not getting drafted out of Georgia tech and got consulting jobs and we're getting paid. I'm like, look, dude, I wake up and I get paid to throw this little white baseball every day. Not too uh, bad. That, like what, what better way to earn money than this? Uh, and hopefully those folks wake up too, both on both sides, right? And, and I look at it from the owner's side too. They got a hard job. They're negotiating with, you know, really smart, really crafty, really, you know, kind of, you know, devilish little agents all the time. And they're trying, and their jobs, you know, everyone's trying to get an inch. I got it. At the end of the day, I hope they get together get in the room and say, look, let's go make this happen. Hey, Lieutenant Governor of Georgia, Jeff Duncan, just to wrap with this, do your Braves re-sign Freddie Freeman? Yeah, they have to. They have right? to. I mean, like, I just think they have to. The market conditions are, are right for – he's going to get paid a ton of money, but who are they going to backfill with him? They're going to go end up trying to find two or three guys to add up the salaries, and, uh, and they're going to get half the production. He's such a um, – I, I thought it was great. Uh, Swanson and, and I went to the, the trophy deal, and he said, yeah, I'm going to probably get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but you need to re-sign Freddie, and the place goes crazy. Uh, I hope they do. He's such a good guy, too. He's such a good role model. Uh, but, you know, one of the things I've said is, and I, I don't know Freddie Freeman, so this could be totally out. A lot of the times the guys I played with that were from the West Coast, they grew up on the West Coast, they always wanted to get back and play on the West Coast. So I think we have to, we're, we have to realize we're negotiating with being closer to home, which, you know, means a lot to a lot of players. I'm so glad that you mentioned that, Jeff, because, I mean, we're seeing on Twitter right now, Max Muncie tore his UCL. He might move over to second. He might, I mean, he's probably not going to play at all. They have a lot of money, and they could be interested in Freddie Freeman. I'm, I'm a Yankee fan. I'm terrified. I think we'll, the Dodgers we'll, might get him we'll again. We'll keep you in our prayers. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Jeff Duncan, this was amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Best, most fun interview for me. I don't know if it was any good, but most fun interview I get, I've had all year. You were fantastic. Thank you so much, Jeff. Yeah, absolutely. Take care. I went in with somehow high expectations, but also zero expectations because I had no idea where the conversation was going to go. And it went a really fun way. He was just a good dude to talk about baseball with such a good dude to talk about baseball with. And I, I saw as he was starting to open up, 
you could tell he has a vast knowledge of this stuff. We were even talking to him after. He's looking for a potential job in an MLB front office. Like, this is a real baseball mind that just happens to be in the political sphere. And he's done a fantastic job. But we're a podcast. We call ourselves the Just Baseball Show. We didn't want to, We don't want to step on toes. We don't want to give you guys our political opinions because, quite honestly, you probably don't care about them. So we tried to toe the line between asking about stuff like the All-Star Game while also sticking to our roots, which is just baseball. And I thought that, all things considered, it was a fantastic interview, and I was so happy to talk to Jeff, and he's going to be a guy who I want to bring on again because, like I said, he's just a baseball mind. He's a baseball mind that likes talking about baseball, and I love, love, loved his line about just getting obliterated by the media and former presidents calling Jeff Duncan names, and all of a sudden, you know, he, he goes home at 7.05. He's done getting lambasted by, by so many people, and he turns on a ball game. Like, that's just, what people screen. do. He's just a regular guy. It's not, you know, and because you think about that, these people just getting trashed in the media. What do they do when they go home? And he's like, you know what? Just move it to the side a little bit. Sit down and I'll watch my baseball. And I love that. Yeah, let's see how Chuck Morton looks tonight, man. <laughs> Where's he at? 94? 95? Let's see. It's like, oh, we got a pandemic, but Max Freed's on the mound. His, his curveball's looking good. <laughs> Man, it, it, that was a really, really fun conversation. GOP 2.0, how the 2020 election can lead to a better way forward for America's conservative party. That's his book. It's out on Amazon. You can get it via Kindle. You can get it you know, via hardcover, too. Um, that's something that I want to read, too, because you know, I, I do like to ingest the political stuff. I don't like to, um, I don't like to talk about it. I like to read about it because I like seeing where these two swings of the pendulum lie. And the reality is Jeff Duncan is listed as a Republican. He is he's conservative, but like he's got ideas that just kind of make sense. Like as an American human being, like you can hear that as a Democrat or a Republican and just say, you know what, this guy's a baseball fan. I'm a baseball fan. Let's let it rock. And I think to that point, I mean, that's such a great point, but also you have to respect politicians that lie within a political party but aren't afraid to speak out against that party and aren't afraid to have other views that may counteract that political party's ideals. Those are the type of people that we like to talk to. You know, let's get outside the box a little bit. Shout out Outside the Box with Jeff Conan and Arm. Yeah. I was going to say that that's the name of our uh, a podcast that we got going also. Uh, also, Arm Layton bringing his prospect pod over to just baseball. That's big time for us. It's big time. Arms of prospect guru. Wednesdays, we're doing prospect episodes. I mean, we're just going to be giving you guys everything. On Monday, they give you trade proposals. On Tuesday, we have an interview with the lieutenant governor of Georgia slash me telling you why I lost a bet. And then on Wednesday, we have prospects. Thursday, Jack and I, we're going to be getting the Hall of Fame stuff. And then Friday, we bring it all together to recap the week. Just stay with us. Monday through Friday, just baseball show. You're going to be happy. Promise. Promise. Do your out thing. Thank you, everybody.